The following is a presentation of the New York Presbyterian Hudson Valley Hospital Center, a better place to get better. Welcome to the Health and Happiness Show with Casey, a weekly presentation with guests, ideas, information, and fun designed to improve your life from 100.7 WHUD. Hi, it's Casey. Thanks for tuning in for a little health and happiness today. We will begin with the happiness that comes from a life connected, connected to spirit, source, God, whatever name you choose. Imagine if you took every decision to your higher counsel, and if you were sure you were doing what you were meant to do here on earth. Megan Moore Hartman grew up in a faith-filled community in Peekskill, and that helped frame the adventure that is now her grown-up life. While she was still very young, her father suffered a life-changing injury that led the family to rely on their faith even more. Today, Megan Hartman is a missionary for SEND International. SEND was created by USGIs after World War II. Here's the story from Megan. SEND International is um, a nonprofit Christian agency that sends missionaries all over the world. Our desire is to see um, people engaged in uh, cross-cultural ministry overseas, and we have a desire to share the gospel with them and transform their lives and their hearts, and um, we do that through a lot, of, a lot of different ways. So, for instance, we do community development in some third-world countries, or we do uh, counseling centers in Eastern Europe, or things like that. Okay, so did you grow up thinking, I'm going to be a missionary, I'm going to help <laughs> save the world? Not, not necessarily. <laughs> um, I didn't really think about it until I was probably in high school um, when I went on my first missions trip to Senegal, Africa. Uh, that's when our church started getting involved overseas, and I went on the first trip. Uh, I was 16 years old in the year 2000, and they decided to take a team of like 30 of us for a month to Senegal, Africa. And I'm like okay, let me just go. Like, it's Africa. Who doesn't want to just experience something else? So I went overseas, and um, I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, oh, this was a cool experience. But at the same time, I, was, I wasn't I was like, oh, God is calling me to do this. And so actually when I, when I met and married my husband, he didn't necessarily have that call in his life either. And just through the process, we've been married nine years now, through the beginning of our marriage up until um, the first couple years of our marriage, God really got, kind of defined that call in his life. And he went back to school and got a got a master's degree in missions. And so I was like, at that time, I was like, um, what what does that mean for me? You know, right. <laughs> does that mean we're like moving to Africa? And um, God really took us through a process, a learning process, a waiting process of really where he had us in this in missions. Right. And so when mobilization came up, it was very interesting. We're like, what, what is mobilization? Like, nobody knows what that is. And, and basically, God just defined it for us and said, hey, I want you guys at the beginning part of the process. I want you to help coach people through the process of becoming a missionary, figuring out where, they, where I'm calling them, where I'm leading them, and really just becoming what we call a missions coach, really, to co- come alongside and help lead and guide them into where, God, into where God has them. All right. Megan Hartman is our guest. We're talking about Send International. So your church is in Peekskill? Yes, it is. First Baptist Church of Peekskill. And when you were 16, they sent you off to Senegal, Africa for a month, and your parents <laughs> were okay with that. Yeah, they, they seemed to be. I'm sure there was a little trepidation on their part, right. uh, but they didn't really share it too much with me. Uh, I'm sure they committed a lot of time to prayer <laughs> for <Right>. that. <laughs> now, and so that planted a seed, and then you, after you were married, uh, your husband was, was called to do this same kind of work. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Do you and your husband sit and pray for God? 
guidance about most things? Absolutely, 100%. Wow. Was there ever a time in your life when you didn't do that? Um, probably. Um, I was brought up in a home that, that taught me to pray and, and ask for guidance. And it wasn't probably until high school where I really started to do that on my own without the prompting of my parents. And I'm sure there was some time in college where I was just kind of like, eh, I got this, I can do it on my own. Right. <laughs> but from a very young age, you know, my, my father becoming paralyzed when I was seven, my, my whole family has been dependent on the Lord be, because of that. <laughs> yeah. So just growing up in a home where that is and seeing the evidence of it and like seeing the transformation of how when we do rely on the Lord for wisdom and guidance, what that can do in a home, that to me is, that's what solidified it for me. Yeah. You know, I I bring this up because when I I don't remember to pray all the time, but when I do, that voice gets louder and stronger. Absolutely. And it's such a muscle. So you mentioned your dad. Let's talk about that. He had an accident when you were a little girl. Yeah, I was seven years old. It was September 14th of 1991. And he broke his neck playing rugby. Mm. Yeah, so he is a C4 quadriplegic, so paralyzed from the shoulders down, and he's been that way for almost 24 years now. Almost 24 years. I now, know, it's crazy. when I see your dad, I call him Coach Moore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he coached a lot in the Peekskill area. He was a gym teacher in Peekskill until his accident, and then he transferred into middle school health at Peekskill Middle School, and he also coached at tons of different schools, including Peekskill and Walter Panis, and currently Putnam Valley Middle School, I believe. Uh, he does wrestling. Primarily, he coached wrestling, but he played and coached a ton of sports, too. (laughs) Now, when I see your dad, and I see him every now and then because we Mm -hmm. live in the same community, when I see your dad in his wheelchair, Mm -hmm. he is one of the most spirited, positive people (laughs) you will ever meet. Oh, 100%. (laughs) But how difficult it must have been for such an active man. Coach more. I know. I can't even imagine. I think... I think like that all the time, especially because I grew up very active, and I look at that, and I'm like, if if the Lord allowed that to be taken away, how, what would my response be? And I think he has responded in a way that many of us wouldn't, but at the same time, he gives all credit to the Lord for that as well. In all my years, I don't think I've ever heard the man complain once about the condition he's in. And I look at that, and I'm like, okay, he's not complaining about me having to itch his forehead or me having to give him a bite of food, but I'm going to complain about, you know, something so insignificant. So it's really taught me a lot. Not the last time I saw your dad, but the time before, he says, I got something for you. And he slipped (laughs) me one of those monthly prayer books. Oh, yeah. The Daily Bread. The Daily Bread. The Daily Bread. And I was like, that's so cool. Thank you very much more. He is an inspiration to so many people. And I think the people that God brings into our lives, whether it's a respiratory therapist or a nurse or somebody else who's in his condition. My, My mom and dad, for years, when they would hear about somebody who would be in a similar condition, they would go and visit them and talk to them and help them through it. And my mom especially would talk to either the wife or the, husband, the, the one who wasn't injured and really walk them through, okay, here, here's how life is going to be different, but you're going to be able to do this. And she would give them resources and encourage them and be like, hey, this is how we do it, and this, this will make your life easier, and if you have any questions, you can call me. And so that's really been their personal ministry as well. And then with nurses too, I mean, we've had hundreds of nurses come through our doors, and many of them, I mean, I had like four or five of them at my own wedding wow. <laughs> because they become like family members. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, your life as a personal minister,
cognition is something mm-hmm. that I talk to kids about a lot. Okay. That I, wow. I say to them, I do. I get I get asked to speak, and now I'm just touring around with my own motivational uh, mm-hmm. presentation. And when I and I tell people, if you use your career as your mission work, mm-hmm. you will always be motivated to do your mm-hmm. best work. Absolutely. And I think in in this world, especially, you know, I, I, I think kids need purpose. They don't feel like they have a purpose right now. You can see that in yeah. in our culture. Just a lot of people are aimless. And when you talk to them about you were designed for a purpose, you have a purpose, discover what that is, then use that. Kids need that message completely. Right. They need to know how excruciatingly valuable. Y- value. They are. Exactly. They need to know their value. Absolutely. And, and that they're magical creatures. <laughs> Megan, yeah, they're pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Megan Hartman, the guest Send International is a faith-based mission agency that sends missionaries all over the world and mm-hmm. uh, Megan helps with the mobilization of that. So where have you been? Everywhere? <laughs> I wish. (laughs) Maybe soon. My husband and I have not been able to visit all of our fields yet. We've only been part of the agency for about three years now. Um, We have visited our field in Alaska, and then we've also visited our field in Japan, and we're hoping to visit our European fields within the next coming year. We have um, a lot of fields in Eastern Europe, so that's where we're hoping to go next. We hope and pray that we'll be able to visit all of our fields and encourage our missionaries, learn about what they're doing on the ground overseas, but not yet. Haven't been everywhere yet. What can we do to support SEND International? Well, SEND International, I highly recommend going to their website, send.org, and just looking for opportunities, whether it's donating to typhoon recovery in the Philippines from a couple years ago, or reading about what's going on in the world and praying for it. Uh, Opportunities to go we have plenty of opportunities, short-term, mid-term, and long-term, for people to go if they're interested in going um, on a short-term trip and experiencing what it's like and see what God is doing. Send.org is the website, and that is by far our best resource to learn about it. Here's a crazy question. <laughs> Do missionaries get paid? <laughs> That's a good question. Our missionaries do have a salary. They do get paid on a monthly basis. Uh, However, their salary actually comes from pure donations. So when someone is preparing to leave, well, say to Japan, I'll use that as an example. If someone's preparing to go to Japan, they do go around and they ask people to donate to them on a monthly basis. So it's called a faith promise. So we say, you know, you need to raise X amount of dollars per month in order to get you on the field. That X dollars per month includes things that a lot of people don't even think of. It includes your salary, yes, but it also includes your health insurance. It includes your visa process. Becoming a missionary overseas, you have to have, do everything legally, of course. So you have to get your visa process and language school. It includes going to language school because you have to learn the language of the people you're going to. It includes emergency procedures. If, you know, heaven forbid something were to happen, they'd be able to evacuate you or if something happened in the U.S. and, you know, a parent passes away or something like that, they'd be able to get you home. And so it is completely fundraised, I guess, is the best way to, to describe it. Wow. So if you were going to be a mission, you would have to support yourself, quote unquote, by getting the donations to pay for everything you need to be out there on the field for as long as you're going to be out there. Pretty much. There are some unique new opportunities that are taking place around the world with lots of different organizations that include using businesses um, as well as um, uh, like teaching. So there are certain areas of the world where you can go and teach, and the, the government would actually pay your salary, and you would only have to raise things that you're the your salary wouldn't cover. So we'd use that a lot actually in Alaska. We have a lot of teachers in Alaska. And so the state of Alaska actually is able to to pay them and then they don't have to raise as much per month. 
Got it. Send International currently has 500 missionaries in about 23 countries, and we're mm-hmm. growing. 500 yeah. isn't a lot, really. You know, that's at 500 people, you could not have them over for dinner, but you could have them at a catered <laughs> party. Yeah, we are considered one of a kind of like a medium-sized missions agency. On average, there's hundreds of missions agencies that go all over the world, and we're just a small piece of that, and we recognize that. We are we are growing. It's been a good couple of years for just growing in intentionality, especially. Right. Um, we're just a lot more focused. We've kind of redefined our vision and, and are like, okay, where are the places that we really need to focus on? Where, where are our people? Where are they in their sweet spot to be able to minister and be able to do what God has called them to do. But you're right, it's not It's not huge, it's not something, um, there are some agencies out there that are in the thousands. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now who decides, you know what, I think I'll start a mission? <laughs> That's a good question. It probably begins yeah. organically, like whoever started SEND probably started organically, I would imagine. Yeah, it did. Um, actually, it started right after World War II. GIs came back from the Pacific Theater and said, you know, we have a heart to serve those we were just fighting. And so they literally, they formed a prayer group and just spent time in prayer and decided, hey, we're going to go back. And then it did. It grew completely organically into what it is today. Our American GIs started SEND as a prayer group? Yeah, absolutely. Well, isn't that just the coolest story I've ever heard? <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, it's All right, awesome. so you're spending your time in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, and Alaska. Yes. And what kinds of things are you doing there? We primarily work with churches, colleges, and individuals. We work with the local church and anybody that they have that has a desire to grow overseas. They're connected to us. Purely web-driven based contacts as well. Like if someone goes to our website and is from those states that you mentioned, they will come directly to us as well. And then we go to um, several different colleges in the area as well and just set up a display and just basically talk to people about who SEND is and who they are and kind of where they feel the Lord calling them. All right, Megan Hartman, anything else our listeners need to know this morning? SEND.org. This is the Health and Happiness Show with Casey on 100.7 WHUD. Find out more and listen to previous shows online at caseyradio.com. How does an award-winning Hudson Valley Hospital get even better? It teams up with the number one hospital in New York. Hudson Valley Hospital is now part of New York Presbyterian. And with our new name comes new possibilities. New York Presbyterian Hudson Valley Hospital now has expanded clinical services previously not available in the Hudson Valley and easy access to the expertise and resources of New York Presbyterian in Manhattan. Visit nyp.org slash Hudson Valley to learn more about the amazing things happening Hi, I'm Nick Jonas, and I'm here to tell you about Think It Up, a new initiative that will activate student-powered, teacher-led learning projects. Think It Up empowers students to work together with their teachers to design projects harnessing their passions. Let's support the students and teachers whose work today will innovate our world tomorrow. Students and teachers, how can you spark great learning experiences in your classrooms? Think It Up. Join us at thinkitup.org. Hi, Donna Douglas here from What's Cooking. Here's what's cooking for you today. I have a delicious Mediterranean seven-layer dip that can be used any time of the year. This recipe is made with lots of healthy, colorful vegetables such as red and yellow peppers, which are key antioxidants and full of vitamin C. It also has tomatoes and cucumbers, Greek yogurt for keeping our digestive system healthy. This dip also has a layer of hummus, which is made with garbanzo beans, a staple used in Mediterranean cooking. You can use a store-bought hummus, which there are many on the market now that are made all natural and gluten-free. 
I like serving this dip with flatbread crackers, usually topped with a lot of different seeds and made from spelt, which is a really nutritious whole wheat grain. To view my recipe, go to whatscookingforyou.com. And Donna Douglas of What's Cooking For You teaches cooking classes in your home. That sounds like fun. Are you reading any good books this summer? Here's an intriguing sci-fi book that brings up an interesting idea. Perhaps there are things around us that our senses can't perceive. Well, of course there are. But will our senses evolve to detect them one day? Ponder that while you're staring up at the summer meteor showers or reading the new book, Dark Orbit. Author Carolyn Ives Gilman gets us thinking about our senses. Carolyn is a curator for the National Museum of the American Indian in Washington, D.C. when she isn't writing. Her short fiction has been translated into seven languages, and the science fiction and fantasy work wins high praise, too. Yes, I I have read science fiction since I was a kid. I didn't start writing it right away because I was an English major, and I was trying to write literary fiction like I was studying in college. And then at some point, it occurred to me, you know, I don't read this stuff. I read science fiction and fantasy. I ought to write science fiction and fantasy. So then I switched over, and I've never looked back. Yeah, you got to be true to what's inside, right? That's just it. So, Dark Orbit, who is our heroine? Our heroine, well, we've got two heroines, really, but uh, the one that the story starts out with is Sarah Callicott. She's a kind of irrepressible ethnologist who gets recruited to be on an exploring expedition to the farthest planet that's yet been discovered. But she has a secret mission, and that is to uh, spy on one of her fellow expedition members, Thora Lassiter, who is a disgraced member of the interstellar elite, who has been sent to the farthest reaches of the universe essentially to get rid of her. Sarah ends up realizing that she has taken on quite a task when they arrive on the orbiting spaceship and there's very quickly a grisly murder that takes place. Mm. Sarah has to uh, solve the mystery of her disappearance and she's not even sure if it's a political mystery or a scientific mystery. Well, you must be loving, as so many of us have been glued to PBS and what's going on with NASA as we see those pictures from Pluto and beyond. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've been on the NASA website constantly. Really, I think that uh, Dark Orbit is about the same spirit of exploration and discovery that took us to Pluto. And I'm assuming it's going to take us to even stranger parts of the universe in years to come. You know, I agree with that. And I understand that you have some theories about our senses and yes. if we can truly know the world. What do you mean by that? When my uh, explorers arrive on this new planet, they realize that their senses are very unreliable. In fact, our senses are pretty unreliable here on Earth, but we make do. Um, Our senses were evolved to sense the kinds of things that we encounter on Earth, Uh, saber-toothed tigers and mountains and rivers. We're very good at sensing those. But when we come to things that are really, really strange and are outside the realm of what we were evolved to understand, things that don't normally have a bearing on our survival here, we're going to be in a pickle. 
And um, my theory is that, in fact, we have more senses than we think we do, ah. that we are able to sense things that we currently discount because uh, the evidence that comes from our sight and our hearing and other senses drowns it out. But, in fact, there's a lot of evidence that we are, we may be sensing things we're not entirely aware of. But we may the- evolve to become aware of. Exactly. Or we could cultivate the skill of being aware of those senses. The way that they learn that in my book is that they meet a civilization of the blind. Now, they uh, do not use sight to to, um, understand their their environment, but they have cultivated some of those other senses. And they can teach some of my explorers to cultivate their senses, which becomes rather urgent because they need those senses in order to escape with their lives. I believe our brains are always scanning for the familiar, so our senses are most familiar with the familiar. And this book takes us outside that realm, yes? That's true. And you know, this this occurred to me when I was researching the history of exploration and discovery on on Earth. Um, I was doing an exhibit about Lewis and Clark and noticing how very good they were at discovering things they were expecting to find. But when they met things they weren't expecting, um, often they just discounted them or they, they, they would write them down in their journals, but they, they would not report on them or, or figure out that they'd just seen something new. And I figured that uh, when we go out into the farthest reaches of space, we're going to do something similar. Yes, yes, and maybe overlook something because we simply don't know what we don't know. Yeah. We don't know what we don't know. We're talking about dark Orbit, the book by Carolyn Ives Gilman, and you work for the National Museum of the American Indian in Washington, D.C. That's a great place to visit. Yeah, it sure is. I tell you, every day I come to work, it's like uh, stepping into another culture, because most of my colleagues here are American Indian, and so um, there's a lot of cross-cultural communication going on just um, in the back rooms of the uh, Museum of the American Indian. Right. So you spend time in your imagination nation in outer space and you spend time at the National Museum of the American Indian and where do you find the time to write? <laughs> it's pretty scarce but I managed to fit it in. And are you working on a sequel? I, I'm thinking about it. Uh, I'm not working on it yet but mm. I'm working on something something different and I have a very short attention span so um, uh, there will be other things coming out from me. That's Carolyn Ives Gilman. If you'd like a copy of her new book, Dark Orbit, email me at caseyradio at gmail.com. And if you'd like to keep in touch, like Casey on the Radio on Facebook and visit caseyradio.com. See you next week. You've been listening to the Health and Happiness Show with Casey. The content of the Health and Happiness Show is intended for general information purposes only. The Health and Happiness Show is a presentation of the New York Presbyterian Hudson Valley Hospital Center, a better place to get better. You can listen to previously broadcast shows online at caseyradio.com. Join Casey for another edition of the Health and Happiness Show next Sunday morning on 100.7 WHUD.